say he died of hypothermia. Dead? You guys digging for treasure? Something like that. That is incredible. What was it? A very old woman. Hundreds of years. Throat has been cut. Just like the others. There are more. everybody and welcome to the latest episode of fresh cuts this is mike and joining me as always it's mr venom how are you doing venom greetings and salutation dutch cultists you think we have any dutch cultists listening to us right now i hope we do maybe they found out what movie we're reviewing and decided to join us anyway i'm doing pretty well how the hell are you doing mike yeah i'll have to look at the analytics to see if we get a country by country breakdown there we go if I'm we get, sure if if we get listeners in the it, netherlands but... then you know, it's probably 50-50 that we got a cultist. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Also joining us is Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Hello, Bedman. That's Jimmy and Bet. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, time to knock the uh, Dutch off. But, uh, yeah, it's always great to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, that little bit of hint doesn't... Uh, give away what we're covering and um i will just come out and say it's moloch moloch one of the two or those could be completely two mispronunciations feel free to correct us listeners if you uh know for sure but this is currently streaming on shutter i actually not really familiar with anyone in this for there's cast crew uh, i was gonna anyways, say how up to date are you on your dutch celebrities uh, yeah, only not, enough to know that so this much. is the uh, yeah this is the first feature length film. Um, he's act- he directed a short from a festival I saw a few years ago. So I I I, I know of him, but um, I I I think this is his first feature film. He's directed a few shorts in the Netherlands, but I I, I think this is his first full feature film. Yeah, he's got a few shorts. I've seen um, Sweet Tooth. That's the only one I've seen. And it was I think that maybe I think that may be the one. 
Yeah, he's got a few, but yeah, that's the only one I've seen. And it was pretty decent. Yeah, if it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, it's not that bad. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think it was from like two or three years ago. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, All right, so let's see. I will. I haven't really looked over the synopsis. It's kind of long, so I'll try to figure it out as I go. But uh, how do you pronounce the character? Beatrix, I guess, is close enough. Yeah, Beatrix. All right, Beatrick lives at the edge of a bog, a peat bog in the north of the Netherlands when she and her family are attacked by a random stranger one night. Beatrix sets out to find an explanation. The more she digs, the more she becomes convinced that she is being hunted by something ancient. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, that actually sets it up kind of well. Uh, it doesn't give away too much, but uh, Venom, what are your general thoughts on Moloch? All right. Well, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I do love cult horror and obviously I have an affinity for foreign horror in general. So if you combine cults with a great uh, foreign filmmaker, which Nico is, he's obviously young, but still um, a a big fan of his from his shorts. But uh, yeah, this movie, I am not surprised, is uh, something I love. Let's let's get to it right away. Yeah, I love this movie. I had a great time with it. This movie is an incredibly quiet and slow movie. Um, this is a slow burn. Um, there is a payoff at the end. Uh, I would say that most people's takes from that ending, it, it's going to be pretty, you know, viewer to viewer. I, I can see some people really loving that ending, and I can see a, a whole nother sect of people absolutely hating the ending. So, you know, it's going to be uh, up to the viewer, but I absolutely loved it. I like that they peppered us with just little bits of information. I mean, you don't even really know what is going on until the very final shot of the movie. And that's something that I also want to praise about this movie is that last shot. It's just a single shot that literally explains everything. It's, uh, you know, maybe not every single thing. It's not like you're completely in the dark until you get to the end. Um, But, you know, like I said, they give you little bits. They give you the lore, which ultimately isn't nearly as vital to the story that's uh, going on right now. But it's still kind of cool to watch to get the uh, the backstory of Helen's whisper and who exactly Helen is, um, along with the demon Moloch that she um, worshipped back in, you know, hundreds of years ago, back in Victorian times. So. Uh, yeah, overall, this movie has a beautiful sense of atmosphere. It opens with a gorgeous shot of the cabin, just an exterior shot. Um, the, the house is isolated. Um, as the description says, they live uh, on the edge of a peat bog. Uh, and then on the other side of the house is just forest. So they're literally incredibly isolated. There's not much around, very much like uh, uh, men. Uh, we Most recently, we watched men, and that was kind of an isolated house as well. So... Um, yeah, um, the first image of the house is awesome. The setup of the story is awesome. The fact that we're seeing all these women that have lived in this house, um, yet we rarely see like pictures of men around the house. And, you know, so that kind of gets your head scratching right away. And um, just as you're um, being fed these little bits of lore, I was absolutely enthralled. The movie's 99 minutes long, which is only an hour and 40. Um, but to me, it felt it felt like a tight 90. Now, this is me talking. I am a slow burn fan. If you are not a fan of slow, quiet horror films, you're not going to be as into this one. Um, Think of, uh, well, 
think of something like the relic, but with a lot bigger ending, like, you know, the scope of the ending is much, much bigger than in the relic, whereas the relic was an isolated story to that family. Um, but think of uh, kind of a lot. I, I had a lot of the same feelings watching this. Um, this also reminded me as I'm watching it for very obvious reasons. It reminded me of my favorite movie from 2017, which was The Void. And the scenes in here that remind me of The Void, oh, they make me so happy. Big smile on my face. And then when we actually when we actually uh, get the explanation of what's going on outside of the house, it actually changes the context of everything. As I said, with that final shot of the ending, just explaining beautifully what's been going on for the last three, four hundred years in this part of uh, Norway, uh, the Netherlands, excuse me. So. Um, yeah, overall, I thought this was a great folk cult horror film. Um, Love the ending. You know, not a whole lot of effects. I mean, you get some blood, you get some a little tiny bit of gore, not much. You get an absolutely 100% pointless sex scene. Literally has no bearing in the movie, adds nothing to the movie or the relationship. It's literally like they were like, oh, let's kill 10 more seconds by having these people, you know, hump on each other in a field. And that's literally it. It really bothered me, that sex scene. It's so it's so pointless. It's also the most clothes I've ever seen worn by two people having sex. Like I don't even I don't even think they took anything off. They were fully clothed. It was just it was just a really weird, unnecessary sex scene. I think the only reason that that scene is in there is to add to the the awkwardness of the end of the film when our main character and the uh, anthropologist um, Jonas say their goodbyes at the end of the film, that sex scene I feel is just a way to add awkwardness to the end so that you're questioning, you know, why is she, you know, why is she saying goodbye to him like this? What is going on? Cause we haven't gotten the ultimate reveal yet that we get with that final shot. So um, just, yeah, uh, great performances. Um, uh, the the little girl was great. Actually, two. There's two little girls in the movie, but one of them is only in there for one scene. But uh, the one that we're with for a, a large part of the movie does a great job. I think Mom is the star of this film by far. She just great performance, great tour de force of you know happiness, despair, dread, fear. Just just a great tour de force by this woman. But overall, and, and even some of the secondary characters, like there's one character in this movie. Um, he's the father of an early victim in the movie. And I actually found him to be absolutely charming. I, I thought he's, he basically is the one that fills us in with the most lore of what, you know, happened in this village hundreds of years ago. So yeah, secondary characters are great. Main characters are great. I just had a great time with this movie. Is it a 10 out of 10? Of course not. It's not a perfect film by any stretch, but it is definitely high on my list for 2022. I had a great time with Moloch. All right, sounds good. Let's uh, go over to Don. Your general thoughts on Moloch? Um, I'm a little bit lower on uh, than Venom, although I'm not uh, too far off. Um, I, I do agree. The atmosphere in this one's fantastic. I love the setup, the full core elements that come into play here, the slow burn build. Yeah, I, I enjoy a lot of it. I, I do see the relic uh, comparisons, although I think relic had a little bit more um, emotional baggage attached yes. to it. Which, uh, yeah, that kind of raised uh, my standings on that one a lot more than this. But um, for the most part, I, I really like it. Um, could it have probably been five minutes faster if uh, everybody acted with a little bit more urgency? Perhaps. Um, 
yeah, I'm not uh, very happy with um, a lot of the first half. Um, it does great setting everything up, but um, I, I wish it, you know, again, would have moved just a little bit quicker. Um, there's also a, a couple of uh, small little nagging points uh, here and there. Just um, it, it feels a little all over the place. It feels like, you know, there's uh, too many stories going on, uh, too many things happening, but... Yeah, overall, I, I don't have too many complaints. Um, I, I think it's fun for what it is. Um, it's one of the, if not, it's one of the better Shutter ones that they've had in a while. Um, I haven't seen a Good Madam yet, so I can't say on that one or uh, the one that was released the week before that one. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, well, there's one that was released in between the two, and uh, yeah, I think I missed those two, but. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, by and large, uh, yeah, it's one of Shutter's better releases. Um, I, I do have a couple of issues with it, but uh, I'm not as mad at it as uh, some of the other releases they've gone through. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's worth a watch. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And uh, maybe not on my top 10 of uh, Shutter releases of the year, but uh, definitely fun and uh, definitely worthwhile in points. So uh, I guess that's uh, it for me. Okay. Um, all right. So for me, uh, you know, if 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 we have some people that are pretty much every episode listeners, I've kind of been saying that this whole year that when it comes to Shutter releases, it's it's mostly been okay stuff, nothing that's really hitting the mark too much. And um, I think I finally got one that kind of came out of nowhere you know in the, in the past two years like last year i could point to a movie like caveat which i was probably higher on than my co-host um but i really liked it and as an example of something that came out come out out of nowhere i had no idea you know that it was on its way knew nothing about it the year before i could say the same thing about vicious fun um and you know these are this is across obviously the horror genre that's hitting different corners of it um but these are the type of things that like I hope for with Shudder, you know? It doesn't mean it's going to be like my favorite movie of the year or, or what I think is the best movie of the year. I just want something that's like interesting and like good, you know? And I think Moloch hits those marks. I like the fact that, you know, we we get some setup but we don't exactly know what's going on. It could go different ways. Is it a possession film? Is it a cult film? Is it a little bit of both? What's going on exactly? Um, I think there's some really good atmosphere. The cinematography is pretty good for its budget, I would say. Uh, some of the shots of like just the foggy bog like out there are great. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like the characters. I like where the story goes. Um, I, I do have a question about something that happens in the third act kind of like as everything's coming together but i'll save that for spoilers because cool. yeah it's probably it's too story uh related to you know get into it right now um i thought you know the characters were all uh pretty i mean the characters were pretty fleshed out i knew uh, i could see the motivations of what was going on we got a nice kind of like turn at, at some point um, with with things, I, I guess my only complaint and Venom, you kind of already touched on it, was uh, I, I, my first time watching it, I, I, my reaction was like, 
this seems like a little bit of a forced romance, but the second watch, I was like, I wouldn't even call it a romance. It was just no. like an unnecessary hookup scene. Yeah. And <laughs> if that's even what you would call what they were doing, because they were, he was like fully clothed in the middle of a freaking <laughs> yeah, bog. Like, I, outside. Oh God. Yeah. yeah I, and, I think it was more a case of the, nobody was willing to get naked for that. So they just filmed something quickly and just shuffled them off inside. Yeah, and, like, when I was watching for the first time, you kind of expect after that that it would lead to, like, you know, your stereotypical, okay, now they're going to be on a mission together because love is now in the equation. But it really didn't happen like that. I mean, obviously, there's still uh, scenes together, I think, afterwards, and but it doesn't really go down that road, which I'm kind of glad. I I just wish that an editor would have been like, so why do we even need that scene in the first, like we don't even need that to be there period. Um, But otherwise, you know, I don't really have many complaints. Like I I, I can see people not liking it as much as I did. And that's fine. But I don't think this movie does. I don't think the movie fails at anything it's trying to do. It's just a matter of like, does it hit the highs? I think it hits versus just, you know, above average for some people. Um, Another thing that I really paid attention to on my second watch was uh, the score, because the first time I watched it was kind of later at night. I didn't want to like have bass booming all over the house, but this time I cranked it up a little higher and yeah, the sound design is really good just as far as, you know, tipping you off to different things. I'm just naturally what horror movies do. But I, I just thought the soundtrack and score fit really well with the movie. Um, the bass rumbles nice to kind of conjure up uh, atmosphere and ambiance and let you know something uh, is not going right. And uh, yeah, I... I, I I like this one. I, I think it's one of the better Shutter releases of the year. And uh, wherever you found this one, please go back to that well and find some more. Because uh, <laughs> this is what I want. You know, when I log into Shutter, the vault is great. Because, you know, there's always going to be times when I want to watch stuff I've seen before that maybe I don't own. But I'm really hoping to find stuff like this that kind of feels inspired feels you know obviously everything in here there's elements we've seen before in other movies but they meld it together to make a pretty you know interesting fresh feeling movie and maybe it's just it could be regional too something with netherlands you get a little bit of lore that you're not getting Mm -hmm. um, out of other uh regions that we're more used to seeing so that always helps uh, matters but yeah i thought this movie was pretty successful at, at what it was trying to do yeah, the mere fact that the movie is set near a peat bog just kind of that's it's a new locale for us. It's not really something that we're used to. I think we saw something similar in like Crimson Peak before they got to the actual the the clay mountain, if you will. I, but otherwise, yeah, um, to actually have it set like that, and and to the fact that they are finding what they're finding in the bog, and no one seems to be really making a big deal about it. You know what I mean? Like the, the archaeologists themselves, they're finding these things in the bog and they're just kind of chalking it up like it's it's a random normal thing. So, yeah, that, that was kind of a weird attitude by the archaeologists. Um, it really a minor complaint more than anything. But, yeah, I do absolutely love this setting. And then an, another thing I wanted to say, too. If you guys listened to our show last week, you remember that we talked about Jordan Peele's Nope, and I talked about how those were some of the most gorgeous, well-shot nighttime scenes I've ever seen in my life. Well, the very next week, we watch a movie that has the complete opposite. 
Now, I'm not necessarily saying that these nighttime scenes are bad or that you can't see anything. What I'm saying is that because it's an isolated house, you know, pretty much surrounded by a peat bog and forest, there's no light pollution. So there's very little natural light. And, and because they're next to a bog, there's fog every night. There's always rolling fog through the area. So they never really truly have a clear night there. But what I liked about it is that when there would be scenes at night where the camera would just be focusing in on some part of the forest, as the viewer, you're like straining to see if there's somebody standing there or not. Sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. I kind of like that element of it, of the, of the, the unfamiliar. You know, you're not 100% sure. Is there somebody there? And if there is somebody there, who are they? Are they friend or foe? Blah, blah, blah. So that, that was a cool little element that I liked about it. So just incredibly dark scenes. You can still, for the most part, tell what's going on, especially if you're watching it on Shutter. You're getting a nice full HD transfer. So, I mean, the nighttime scenes are still legible, but the fact that it's just so dark and the only light in the scene is like, you know, the, the old guy's flashlight or whatever. I, I just really like the way those were shot. So I just definitely wanted to point that out uh, I, along with the locale. Like I said, even the daytime shots here, even though there's nothing around other than trees and mud, it's actually a kind of cool looking locale. Like as I'm watching this movie, it actually kind of reminded me of boys of County hell a little bit in the sense that, you know, they're in a very wet region. You know, it's kind of gray at times. Uh, they obviously are dealing with an ancient evil that, you know, that no one's ever been able to deal with, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, there, there were parallels there. Obviously, this isn't a vampire movie by any stretch, but I, I was seeing parallels between those two movies. And, of course, I love Boys from County Hell, so it did make me happy to see similarities of that movie here. Um, I'm not sure what else I can talk about that's spoiler-free. Do you guys have anything? I'm trying to think. Um, I, I did like the design of. Yes. On, on I, I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I'm like, how, how much should I like say who I like? I like to, let's say I like costume design and. No, I, yeah, I thought, this, I thought the design of, uh, of the Helen and her little buddies. I, I really liked it. Like I said, uh, that's an obvious scene that reminds me of the void, but the more obvious scene is of course, you know, uh, the, the poster. Actually, if anybody's seen the movie poster, that's the scene I'm talking about, obviously. That reminds oh, me. Oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 it just reminds me of The Void, which was a more legitimate cult movie. I, I'll get into why I'm making that statement once we get into our uh, walkthrough of this film. But, yeah, um, just, man, I can't say enough good things about this one. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I like the slow pace. I love the relationship between the women I love the quirkiness of grandma throughout the film, but then when you see the end of the movie, it explains every quirky thing that grandma did throughout the movie. I fucking love that. It, when movies leave you thinking about the movie itself, hours later, that's a successful film in my opinion. So yeah, just especially on a second watch when you already know what's going on. Uh, I'm sure, Mike, your second watch was probably pretty interesting seeing grandma do her wacky things knowing you know, what's what after the first watch. I know I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. There was a couple scenes specifically where uh, <laughs> Grandma reacts to things that yep. Beatrix is saying. It's just like kind of like the look she, looks she kind of flashes her. Yep. And on a first watch, it might just be seen as inconse inconsequential because you don't know 
what's coming later but on the second watch it's like you you pay attention to like every little interaction like that and you're like okay i see what's happening here yeah yeah like on first watch i thought grandma was just senile like some of her some of the reactions mm-hmm. she has i thought she had dementia or maybe it was you know um, early um alzheimer's something along those lines but yeah when you get the reveal it's so much better <laughs> which i love oh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, that's your spoiler warning, folks. Uh, we're done with our spoiler-free discussion. We're going to go ahead and jump into our walkthrough. I'll try to make this one as quick as possible. Uh, our movie opens with a little girl hiding in her basement while she, she hears some kind of commotion above above her. Suddenly, she hears a woman screaming, and she hears a body fall to the ground, And then she sees blood coming through the floorboards, like, you know, between the spaces on the floorboards from upstairs. And it's actually dripping on the little girl. She kind of freaks out. Um, She she starts to hear additional screaming uh, throughout the house. And then she she kind of covers her ears with her hands. And that's kind of the end of our cold open. So uh, we get that little tiny introduction. No context whatsoever, obviously, as most cold opens are. After that, after our title card, which I really like the title card on this one, it kind of reminded me of Malignant, uh, which also had a really cool title card. So after our title card, we are introduced to Beatrick. Uh, Beatrick is a um, Dutch woman who is currently living with her parents and her daughter. Later in the film, we find out that her husband had died. She actually moved to she mentioned did she mention new york right she mentioned a major city in the u.s uh so basically after she got married she moved to the u.s her husband died we we don't get any context on what happened with the husband but after you're done with this movie that becomes a kind of a dangling plot point i'll explain why at the end but yeah um so you know like i said we're just introduced to uh beatrix her mother's name is uh Eska, I think is the name, or Elska, Elski, something like that. Um, I'm just basically, I'm just going to call, for the rest of the movie, I'm going to call them grandma, mom, and daughter. Uh, There are three generations of women in this movie. Um, So that's, I'll probably still say Beatrix because we hear her name so much in the movie. It's ingrained in my head. So yeah. Um, We are then introduced to a character named the Bagman. And the bad man is basically, he just looks like a homeless guy um, who's walking around um, this area with all his possessions in plastic bags. So, you know, he just basically looks like any standard American homeless person that you see, you know, with a a shitload of plastic bags. Um, He seems to just be walking around the bog area for no real reason. Beatrix drives by him and notices him. that and then that's when we're later introduced to him by name as the Bagman. Uh, I'm not sure if we ever actually got a full name for this guy. Um, in the credits, he's just called Radu's son, but in the movie, he was called the Bagman. Uh, so anyway, the Bagman is seen just kind of acting weird, digging random holes in the bog that really make no sense. And what ends up happening is one night while he's doing exactly what he has been doing for the last few nights, just digging holes randomly in the bog, he's attacked by someone or something. And then the next morning, his dead body is found in the hole that he created. Now, the police and the investigators chalk it up to hyperthermia. They basically just say that, you know, he, he just got so cold that his heart stopped and he died. But obviously, um, some of the older townsfolks um, kind of 
don't buy into that. They kind of have, you know, obviously the older, the longer they've been there, the more they might believe in legends and lores, things like that. So, um, so at this point, uh, you know, we lose the bag man. He has, he has now died. And then that evening, um, someone breaks into their house. Um, we have, uh, just a random person. No one knows who he is. We've never seen him in the film before this. And he just breaks into the house. He grabs one of the kitchen knives from their kitchen. And all through the scene, he's apologizing. He's saying, I'm so sorry. I, I have to do this. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, he ends up attacking grandma uh, with, uh, with uh, the knife that he grabbed from the kitchen. At one point, him and grandma are struggling with the knife. He's trying to um, push the knife into grandma's mouth, literally like right into her mouth. Um, eventually, uh, grandpa shows up and bashes him twice with a hammer in the back of the head, which got me to fucking cheer. Actually, I, <laughs> I love when old people beat the shit out of, you know, villains, if you will. Yeah, I got, um, I got to say, everyone in this movie that ended up possessed did a really good job of playing like a possessed. Exactly. Like, they're like they, like they, they had enough cognizant. Like they had enough of their own, like enough control of their own mind that they knew they were doing something they shouldn't, but they couldn't control themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And then we get the legend of, uh, well, let me finish out the scene. Like the way they, like the way they move, the way they walk, the way they interact. It, oh, yeah. just, whoever was like the coaching them on the on set did a really good job. Especially the second one, the guy who actually walked through the noise traps. I thought he mm -hmm. especially did a good job. Um, but anyway, oh, that like whole I, sequence was great, yeah. Yeah, oh, watch. one of my favorite scenes in the movie, but we'll get to that. Uh, let's see. Um, so like I said, Grandma, uh, Grandpa bashes uh, this intruder in the head uh, with a hammer. The intruder does not end up dying. He ends up getting taken to the hospital. And then this is when we're introduced to Jonas. Jonas is like the lead archaeologist or anthropologist. I I'm not sure. He never actually says in the movie. But he is leading this group of people who are uh, they are digging up what are called bog bodies. And, and this is a real thing, folks. I looked this up. Apparently in these areas of Europe that have, you know, bogs that have been there for hundreds of years, literally um, either people that have been murdered will be dumped in the in the bog or sometimes people will just get stuck. Like they'll just be walking through the bog. They'll get so stuck that they can't get out and they end up just dying and sinking in the bog for their body to be found hundreds of years later. So, yeah, this is an actual real thing. So, like I said, we meet Jonas at the hospital. And as it turns out, the attacker, the person who broke into Beatrix home, actually is an employee of uh, Jonas, the anthropologist. He's actually one of the members of his team. And the thing is, is that everyone says, no, this guy was the, is the nicest guy, would never raise a hand to anyone. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, you know, obviously that kind of leaves the viewer scratching their head. Um, he doesn't really come off as possessed because, like I said, he's talking. He's actually, you know, like I said, he's apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry, I have to do this. He almost seems like he's a cult member, maybe, you know, who's being forced to do some kind of initiation or whatever the case may be. Uh, but nope, he actually turned out to be just a guy who was um, working on the orders of Helen. And this is where we find out uh, the legend of Helen now and Helen's whisper. All, all throughout the last hundred years, uh, crime, a lot of crimes that have been committed by people that would otherwise be considered normal law-abiding citizens have been chalked up to Helen's whisper. 
And what and well, let me tell you who Helen is first. Helen was a mad queen uh, of this area hundreds of years earlier. Her and her husband, the king, uh, ruled with an iron fist. They were they, they were basically like, you know, battery, you know, just you know, killing people on a whim, um, you know, kidnapping people from the village and no one ever sees them again. Things like that. Random things like that. Eventually, Helen becomes a foul of a, a woman called uh, Fika in the village. Fika realizes that Helen is just flat out evil and somehow is trying to figure out a way to end her reign. Now, I'm a little confused on this flashback, so what I say may not be 100% correct, so take, take my next few statements with a grain of salt. What we see is Helen kind of uh, accused Fika of witchcraft, you know, a very common, you know, um, old thing to do. when you know, if you had a person from the village who you either wanted their land or you just didn't like them or they did something that you didn't understand, it, the easiest thing to do was accuse them of witchcraft, blah, blah, blah. So um, Helen accuses Fika of witchcraft, but then uh, Fika, I'm not sure if Fika is a witch or what, but uh, what ends up happening is Fika basically commits suicide. She actually commits self-martyrdom because after her death, she becomes a practically a saint. And what, what she ends up doing is she ends up um, committing suicide by cutting her throat vertically. So instead of a cross, like normal people, uh, they actually start at the chin with a razor and they cut down until the person is dead. Uh, so when Fika did this, something happened to Helen where she died. I don't it's really weird. I don't know if this is a curse or, like I said, maybe Fika was a witch and by committing suicide herself, she also takes out Helen. I'm not sure. So, like I said, take it all with a grain of salt. But yeah, Helen does. The way, the, the way I read it is she wanted the revenge on the other girl, but to do it, she had to, like, sign herself up to, like, an unending debt. Um, right. So, like, her... It wasn't all just her sacrifice, but then like every following generation, I guess. So when she did the sacrifice, then it also caused the demon or entity to like take out the other girl too, which is kind of, I mean, that's a, <laughs> if you think about it, that's a hell of a uh, desire for revenge to be like, okay, I'll kill myself if you kill the whole thing. You know? <laughs> no, no, that's valid. Yeah, absolutely. So. So there is the the the, the Helen, uh, the the legend of Helen, if you will, or the in the movie they call it the legend of Fika, but it actually includes um, Helen. And then, like I said, Helen's whisper is basically whenever a seemingly law-abiding citizen in this village commits a crime out of nowhere that no one predicted, um, it's chalked up to Hol uh, Helen's whisper. So basically, they're claiming that Helen can speak to the living and can force them to do things. So that's kind of, you know, what we're looking at at this point. Keep that in the back of your head as we move forward. Um, so let's see. Uh, we get a cool elevator scene where in the hospital after, you know, after the attack at uh, Beatrix's house, she goes to visit Jonas and um, the attacker. And while she's there, she sees a little girl that, basically starts spouting off a line in, in uh, Latin. And the line is, Nu a morit. Those of you who know Latin know that that translates to, she never died. And, you know, this little girl 
who is telling this to Helen seems like she's in a trance. Like she doesn't seem like she's a normal little girl. She, she literally follows, not Helen, I'm sorry, um, Beatrix. She follows Beatrix into the elevator and then just out of nowhere starts talking to her, you know, cryptically. And then she starts repeating new Amurit, new Amurit. Um, and then that's when Beatrix later on through Google Translate actually finds out that it means she never died. So obviously that little girl is probably, um, talking about Helen or FICA, who knows? <laughs> it's up to the, it's up to your interpretation. So go figure. Um, after this, after leaving uh, the hospital, Jonas and Beatrix get a little drunk. They get a little wasted. They get into a little bit of an argument on the drive back home. Beatrix does the uh, standard, uh, get, you know, stop the car. I'm getting out. I'm going to walk home. Of course, though, they're in the middle of a fucking peat bog and she's literally going to try to traverse the bog itself to get to her house. Jonas runs out of the car to chase her, and literally, the moral of this scene is chase a girl, get laid in a field, because literally, <laughs> as soon as Jonas catches up to her, he literally asks her one question, do you think this is funny? And she literally just says yes, and then just starts kissing on him, literally just jumps yeah, on his phone. Because <laughs> she was, like, giggling towards the yeah. end of the chase, and I'm like, why are you even giggling? Like, yeah. I don't understand. But... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of not really explainable like if that was grandma giggling it would make a lot more sense but since it's Beatrix I'm just going to chalk it up to alcohol because they had just left the pub so I'm just going to say they were drunk she was obviously more drunk than Jonas since Jonas was driving um so yeah, yeah so we get the most meaningless uh, sex scene in a horror movie ever and let's see after that where are we um it yeah, we get the most meaningless and non uh, and non sexual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like the least arousing sex scene ever in a film. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, well, after we get and, the, and, uh, yeah, and like I'll, I'm just gonna reiterate something I said during general thoughts because now that we're actually you know talking about it a little more detail, what I was trying to dance around is the fact that nothing really comes of this even in their relationship that like, it doesn't lead him to like being a bigger help in like the, the thick of things, you know, he, it's not like he shows up and starts saving the day on all these things. It's like, no, he just kind of goes back to being what an archeologist or, <laughs> or whatever. This movie and, is too long, these are the scenes that could have been skipped. Like the whole, yeah. the first scene with them at the pub, kind of getting to know each other. The second scene at the pub, when they get into the argument, the sex scene, and then after that, they barely see each other again until the end of the movie. So, yeah, Jonas definitely doesn't play the part that you think he's going to play. But, you know, that that's their well, decision. I mean, you could almost even make the case you can write him out and not even change the film at all. Um, Valid. I mean, you do kind of need I, – I would say just get rid of the romance because you, you still need somebody leading that archaeology expedition. There's always going to be some kind of leader. It's going to be like the senior archaeologist or whatever. And they're almost always going to be, you know, in the film, like, you know, right up uh, on the screen. So, but I would say, yeah, just get rid of that goddamn romance. You easily could have shaved like six to eight minutes off the movie if you just got rid of all those scenes. And then we have a solid 90 minute movie. Not that I'm complaining, mind you, as I said, for me, the movie feels great. It's got a nice pace, even though it is a little slower in the first and second acts, it definitely picks up. So at this point in the film, after we find out the legend of Helen, we actually find out that Helen uh, was an evil queen, literally. She she and her husband were um, 
worshiping a god named Moloch. And this is where this is where I'm going to kind of change the subject a little bit and talk a little bit about Moloch because um, this guy is actually a historic demon. Uh, he's been he's been uh, written about in lots of fictional books. I'm going to bring up a couple of examples. Um, in the movie, they actually call Moloch the god of child sacrifice, um, but most of what I found online called him Moloch the child devourer. So he's basically eating children, and he is uh, he is a high-level demon in the armies of hell. Uh, but Satan kind of looks at him as more brawn than brains. Um, so Moloch's not incredibly intelligent, you know, uh, according to Satan. So Satan kind of uses him to just kind of go and do physical things out in the world, you know, grab children, haunt parents, blah, 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 blah. Um, but he definitely doesn't, Satan doesn't really respect Moloch, if you will. Um, Moloch makes an appearance in Dante's Inferno. I'm a huge fan of Dante's Inferno for obvious reasons. And I want to go ahead and read one paragraph uh, where Dante is describing Moloch, which is pretty freaking awesome. First, Moloch, horrid king, besmeared with blood of human sacrifice and parents' tears, though for the noise of drums and timbrels loud, their children's cries unheard that pass through fire to his grim idol. I have no idea what the fuck that means, but it just sounds awesome because it sounds biblical, and we all know how much I love biblical passages in horror <laughs> films. Um, I mentioned that, uh, you know, Moloch has been written about in various uh, fictional uh, books and stories. Uh, another fictional book that he's been written about huh, is the Bible. Yes, I just called the Bible a book of fiction. Come at me. Anyway, um, you can read about um, Moloch in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. And this reads, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Um, in the Bible, he's called Molech, M-O-L-E-K. They also do mention that in the movie, that he's sometimes known as Molech or Moloch, uh, depending on where you're from uh, and depending on what source you're reading about him from. So, yeah, if you guys uh, – I, I said this to my co-host before we recorded. I spent about an hour last night just reading about Moloch. This dude is fucking awesome. If you're into demonology – I would say spend some time and go look up his story because it's fucking fascinating. So that's the end of my diatribe on Moloch. So uh, let's see. After this, uh, Jonas recommends that um, Beatrix maybe get hypnotized or something so that she can try to remember memories from that cold open, the traumatic event. Where, you know, to this day, she knows that her grandmother, oh, and she does explain that on that evening, her grandmother and mother were attacked and that her grandmother was killed. She never knew how until the hypnotism. Once, once Helen, or excuse me, once Beatrix is hypnotized, uh, she has a flashback to the night of the event. And she remembers that as she was being carried out of the house by either a policeman or a relative or something, she saw a reflection of her dead grandmother on the floor and she saw the vertical throat cut that's been kind of common. Oh, by the way, all of the bog people that the, ar that the archaeologists have been digging up all have the same vertical throat slit. So obviously we mm -hmm. know, you know what they've been doing with these bodies after the, they sacrifice these people. At this point, we're still, you know, thinking that it's a cult and sacrifices and things like that. Uh, on first watch, I was really, really worried because 
a lot of times with movies like this that have a perceived supernatural element, you get to the end of the movie and it's just that the character was seeing things and that it's all just people. Like I was fully expecting it to be um, uh, descendants of FICA going up against descendants of Helen. You know, That's what I was kind of expecting, that there wasn't going to be a supernatural element. Am I right or am I wrong? We'll find out in a little bit. So... <laughs> Now it is a nighttime scene. Once again, we are outside of the house, the cabin, and we see Grandpa literally sitting out there. He has, Grandpa has set up noise traps around the property, you know, strings with um, bells on them. So if anybody trips on them, it'll, it'll sound the bell and Grandpa will know where the, um, where the intruder is. So Grandpa, this on um, this particular evening, for some reason, Grandpa decides to literally stay outside. Like he props, he sets up a chair, a thermos full of coffee, and just decides to stay outside. Of course, against Beatrix's wishes, because she knows how cold it gets out there at night. But um, you know, Grandpa's not hearing it. And lo and behold, Grandpa was right. Just a little bit longer, a little bit later that evening, we hear the noise, uh, the noise trap go off. And what we see is the one of the um, Asian um, archaeologists from the group. Uh, once again, a very quiet guy. Uh, we saw him earlier in the movie when the first attack happened. Uh, well, after the first attack happened at the hospital. And he seemed very standoffish and not real happy with what was going on. So he definitely doesn't seem like the type to do anything, you know, too criminal. But yes, uh, basically he shows up. Grandpa... I fucking love Grandpa. He's so prepared. Um, he tases the guy from behind. Grandpa's got a taser. He tases the guy, uh, which, of course, knocks him out. And then Grandpa pulls out some zip ties and ties him up. Fucking Grandpa. God, he, Grandpa was definitely a Boy Scout because he is prepared, my friends. All right. So after he ties up this um, member of the archaeology team, he hears the noise trap again in a different part of the property. And then he starts to go. And this is the scene. This is one of the major scenes where the camera will look out into the distance and you're just not 100 percent sure if you see anything or not. Like at first, you'll think you see a humanoid shape in the background and then it'll disappear or just kind of fade away. You're not sure if you saw anything. And then other times they make it very obvious that there actually is someone standing there. So after the noise traps, after multiple noise traps start going off all around the property, you know, Grandpa's kind of freaking out. He doesn't know what's going on. He ends up seeing an image of his uh, of his mother, you know, the woman who was killed. Or no, not his mother. He ends up seeing an um, almost like the spirit of his wife. But his wife is still alive. Grandma's still alive and in the house. But he sees an image of her and she walks up to him and starts saying something and, you know, something cryptic. And then we see Grandpa's eyes go white. They just, you know, they, they gloss over white and he is now possessed and he is now trying to get into his own house to kill his wife um, on the behest of whoever it is that's possessing him. Um, of course, Grandpa is unsuccessful. He does eventually get into the house. He is able to attack um, his wife. He's not successful in killing her. Eventually, he does get knocked out. He gets hit with like a fireplace shovel. Um and it, only once, and then she drops the weapon. God damn it, Beatrix, you're a weapon dropper. That bothered me. <laughs> Granted, it's not really a situation where it warranted holding on to it the entire time, but with weapon everything that's been going on up to this point, yeah, just doesn't make sense. So anyway, at this point, 
Um, you know, we're still, let's see, uh, where are we? Weapon dropper, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So what do you call it? We see, uh, grandpa after he comes to, after being knocked out by Beatrix, when he comes to, he's back to normal. He's not possessed anymore. He doesn't know what's happened. He thinks that maybe a cultist knocked him out from behind. So he actually starts walking around the house, which started to worry me because I actually thought that maybe grandma or Beatrix were going to kill grandpa thinking he was still attacking him, but you know, he was out of the trance. But what ends up happening is when grandpa gets to the top of the stairs, his wife is standing there waiting for him and her eyes are completely white. They are glossed over white. And, you know, she's, I don't remember exactly what she says. She says like a one line cryptic thing. And then she grabs I think a she rope. said it'll be like over soon or this will go quick or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Uh, she ends up grabbing a rope that's already set up on top of the stairs, wraps it around grandpa's throat and throws him down the stairs, pretty much killing grandpa instantly. We hear the neck snap as he, you know, falls down. So uh, and now we have the kind of the confirmation that now grandma is the one who's possessed, which sounds kind of odd at this point, but we're going to go with it. So what ends up happening is after Grandma kills Grandpa, um, uh, Jonas shows up. He ends up getting caught in a bear trap and ends up being you know, ineffectual for the rest of the movie. I mean, Jonas really is a wasted character in this movie. He, he's a fine actor, uh, but it, it's just a wasted character that's pointless. So <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, folks. I'm so stupid that every single time I see someone step in a bear trap in a movie, the first thought that comes to my mind is now you got to cut loose foot loose. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm stupid that way. I, I just get a kick out of people losing their feet in bear traps. Sorry. It's a, it's a weird kink, I guess. I don't know. Um, so anyway, at this point, um, grandma grabs Beatrix and basically ties her on the bed. We don't get to see her tied on the bed. We get to see the after effect that she's already been tied there. When Beatrix wakes up, uh, after being tied onto the bed, she sees her mother, grandma, standing there with six fucking seven foot like cultists standing behind her. Um, they're basically wearing the animal skins that we saw like in the Wrong Turn remake where that where that cult would wear animal skins. Kind of the same thing here. They're all wearing like animal heads and animal skins and they're chanting something in Latin, you know. And what ends up happening is grandma again says pretty much the same thing that she said to Grandpa. She looks at Beatrix and says, don't worry, this won't take long. And then Grandma takes a razor blade and cuts her own throat from chin to the base of her neck and literally just falls on the floor. And then the room is Bye. silent. Yeah, just literally dies. Bye, Grandma. Bye, Grandma. <laughs> and then the room is silent for a minute. The cultists kind of don't say anything. And then suddenly out of nowhere, fucking Helen in her crazy fucked up design um stands up and starts kind of looking at beatrix and beatrix basically at this point she starts screaming and then we see her eyes gloss over white and then she stops screaming um she later jonas does end up getting in the house uh he's able to untie her get her out of there they're able to grab uh, the little girl because the daughter, uh, mom hid the daughter very much like the cold open uh, hit her in like a instead of the basement this time, it was more like a pantry, basically hit her in a pantry while the shit hit the fan. 
And then, you know, it almost seems like the movie is over, but it just, you know, you're at, at this point in the movie, you're just scratching your head. Like what the fuck is going on? Like if grandma knew, cause obviously every generation has to go through this. So it's like, why wouldn't grandma warn her daughter about this? If she went through it herself 30 years earlier, well, my friends, we get the answer in the final scene of the film. Oh, and by the way, the second to last scene of the film is that scene I was talking about where Jonas and Beatrix say goodbye to each other. And this is the scene that I'm saying, this is probably the only reason that that sex scene is in the movie. Because when they say goodbye to each other, it's very awkward. It's not like two people that have had sex and are still friendly with each other. It's just very, very awkward. Um, he mm-hmm. offers he offers her and her daughter to live with him in a guest house. I, I guess he just bought a new house. There's a guest house in the back of the property. He offers to let them live there. Beatrix politely declines, which at this point, I'm like, what? After everything you've been through, you're declining to leave this fucked up village? Um, but like I said, you know, they have their awkward goodbye, and then they go back home. And now is our final shot of the movie, where we see Beatrix and her daughter just kind of sitting on the couch while Beatrix is reading a story to her. But then... What we see outside the window is we start to see those white figures that we saw earlier in the film. Remember when I said grandpa thought he saw the ghostly image of his own wife? Well, now here's the ghostly image of Beatrix looking into the house, into the window, looking at the living Beatrix and her daughter bonding. And then when we get the POV shot from Beatrix, it's fucking Helen. So Helen has literally been just jumping into the bodies of all the women in this family every 30 years. They don't really give us much of an explanation. Like, does she have to? Does the body wear out? Is it just what she chooses? Blah, blah, blah. A lot of the lore is kind of kept. It's not really important lore, ultimately. I mean, we see what happens. And like I said, that final shot of Helen in her ghostly form, um, you know, just reading and sitting on the couch next to the daughter is actually a great image. Like I said, I really do like the design of Helen. I like the design of the cultists. Um, so they're actually, so what's funny is that I was saying that this was either going to go supernatural or there was actually going to be a cult. And guess what? They did both. And I fucking love that. I actually am so happy that they, that they kind of swerved me a little bit. You know, I was expecting one ending over the other, but I got both. So I'm actually ecstatic that they did that. I love that. Combine a real supernatural ghostly Helen along with these seven foot fucking tall cultists. I I just it's just a great image. And like I said, the final image of the movie explains so much like it explains all of grandma's quirky behavior throughout the entire movie it explains why grandma drives like shit like the driving scene is actually funny because beatrix doesn't want her daughter riding in the car when grandma's driving and the one scene that we see grandma driving in she's she's just absolutely speeding she's talking on the phone while she's speeding it's just like you think it's just senility but nope Mm -hmm. it's helen it's fucking it's been Helen the whole time. So that's why the, that's why generation after generation, these women never leave because every 30 years, Helen goes from grandma to daughter. Uh, well, from grandma to mom. And then the cycle starts again. So, yeah, and that's was, that's mm-hmm. what I got from when um, she was narrating kind of like the play, which was like the based around the lore of kind of what was going on. What I got out of it was like the agreement that that little girl made was 
your own sacrifice isn't enough. It's going to be like the next generation every so often. I think you said 30 years. So it's almost like out of their control. Like they would probably have to figure out some way to break this spell or this curse. But obviously by the time they even figure out what's going on, they're ill-equipped to do anything about it. Exactly. And the other great See, thing. See, I think, uh, I think my question was, so what my question was going to be, and I, the, the question went away partially because of my second watch and partially because of you doing the kind of the rundown. When I watched it the first time, what I was confused about was um, when the grandma's getting choked, I thought it like, I was like, okay, is the, is the cult and all the ghost girls like, Oh, I'm about to explain. Are they kind of like sparring, like fighting and like, I'm actually about, or is it like, Okay. I know your question right, exactly. Right, go ahead. Um, the ending of this movie, as I mentioned earlier, the ending of this movie makes you think back to lots of different events in the movie. Uh, I mentioned the husband. Uh, think about the fact that the husband died forcing Beatrix to move back home. Was the husband murdered? Hmm. I mean, it just seems really convenient that he just happened to die naturally right when Beatrix needed to go back home to you know, be a part of this ritual. So... You know, it, it's kind of like the whole thing in Midsommar with the parents and the sister. Did they actually, did the sister actually commit suicide or were they killed by, you know, one of the Swedish people just to force Danny to come out there? It's, it's just one of the great things that it makes you think about. The other thing, and that's the point that Mike is making, is that with that ending, it also explains that the two intruders that came into the house, the two people that were part of the archaeological team, were not possessed by Helen. They were possessed by FICA. They, FICA sent them in to kill Helen. That's why they attacked Grandma specifically. Remember, the first guy didn't attack Beatrix. He went after Grandma. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right, that's exactly. the explanation. These, the, the ghostly images that you're seeing outside the house are all the women's souls that Helen right. has replaced. So every generation of woman that she's replaced, they're all out there. But they're all working for FICA. They're trying to stop Helen. That's why they possessed Grandpa to go in to try to kill Grandma. That's why they okay. possessed those two archaeologists. So that's, okay. that makes so, a lot yeah, more sense. The Grandpa was possessed, but possessed by, by the kind of the opposite faction. The good guy. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's what so I was wondering cool, yeah. because I was like, because I was like, wait a minute, we're supposed <laughs> to be sympathizing because Grandma's sitting there. Being strangled, but then Grandma's possessed and being part of the mm-hmm. sacrifice herself. So that's why I was confused a little bit because I was like, "Wait a minute, who is controlling who, and who are we supposed to be?" I guess rooting for here, and that's yeah. what my confusion was. And what's funny is that I thought of that in the middle of the night. Literally, the first night I watched it, I didn't really make that conclusion uh, right after watching it. But literally that night, as I'm laying in bed about to go to sleep, I'm like, "Oh shit." That was FICA that was possessing those three guys. That wasn't Helen. Why would Helen possess someone to kill herself? That doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. That and, and it literally and it just it, it almost added like a whole fucking rating point to this movie because I I love that. It was just something that I yeah, wasn't that's, about. <laughs> that's what after the first watch, that was what was keeping me kinda like questioning because I was like I was like if if they're all 
in cahoots, then the strangling scene doesn't even make any sense. Because I was like, why would you be strangling your own person that's part of the ritual that gets yeah. you into the next body? And the fact, so I was like, there has to be something I missed. Exactly. And the fact that the first attacker is trying to stick that kitchen knife into grandma's mouth is a nice little mm-hmm. swerve. Because you think that he's going to try to saw like through the jaw and do the vertical throat slit. So the whole time, yeah, you're thinking these are these are Helen's disciples that are getting possessed and walking in here. But now they were actually the good guys. Go figure. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, it makes yeah. sense because because at the end or all throughout the movie, you think all like the ghost ladies out there are like bad or part of something bad. But mm-hmm. by the end, even even with my confusion about exactly how that one scene went down with the closing shot where um, she's looking into the window and sees her daughter with the demon. Yeah. At that part, I was like, okay, obviously the ghost ladies are victims. I was just trying to figure out, but they turn evil like in circumstance or, but now I understand kind of more what, yeah. what's going on. I forgot to mention too, that the movie actually utilizes uh, some cool trail pictures i don't know if anybody's familiar with this where people that live out in the woods will set up cameras in the woods to just try to get pictures of like animals and whatnot as they walk by it's basically a motion activated camera they actually use that in the film and one of the pictures that grandpa gets you you're looking at it and you can almost swear there's a face right there in the middle but his neighbor the the guy who he's showing the picture to doesn't see it even though I'm looking right at the picture. I mean, did you guys see it? Did you guys see the face right in the middle of that picture? I, I uh, only, Unless it was just me I, plugging it in and <laughs> imagining that there was a face there. I could swear uh, there was a face. I'd have to rewatch it again, but I don't know if I would be able to tell unless that would be aware of it based on what you said rather than it actually being present in the film. Um, I, I'd have to rewatch it again, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's just a picture of trees. Like there's there's no shape or anything. It's it's literally just a uh, like bushes, like a picture of bushes. But right in the middle of it, you you could distinctly see, um, you know, the the silhouette of eyes, uh, a mouth, and a general shape of a head. But it's not obvious. Like I, I'm not like. It still bothered me that the neighbor didn't see it because he's literally looking at the same picture I'm looking at. And I'm like, dude, it's right there. It's literally in the middle of the picture. It's not even like on the edge or something. But, yeah, it's a minor little thing. Not really not even really a gripe. Just kind of shows it's the whole gold and white dress or black and blue all over again. Two people can look at the exact same image and see two completely different things. So uh, I'm just going to chalk it up to that. Because I thought the face in the picture was obvious, but I yeah, I've, I, I forgot to mention way back when you started the walkthrough. But that scene when the I don't know if it was the caretaker, but when he's out there digging the grave, and then you get the the ladies whispering to him, "Dig, dig, dig." Like I thought that whole sequence was really creepy. Yeah, that and he was, starts looking up. He starts looking up at the fog, and you vaguely see the silhouette. Yeah, that's the bag man. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. About that scene, yeah. I, I did forget to mention that he was chanting "dig, dig, dig" to himself, but yeah. So obviously, these are all people that were possessed by FICA, um, probably, for, you know, sending them to where the bodies are. Because every time one of these possessed people would dig, they would find another bog body or bog people, whatever you want to call them. Um, so I, I'm 
that just kind of solidifies the fact to me that they were possessed by FICA. FICA's trying to get these bodies so that they can get proper burials, you know, get them out of the bog. And then, of course, possessing random people to try to get them to attack Grandma slash Helen. Uh, yeah, especially especially once, like, the... I think it's the archaeologist or his like assistant lady, whatever her name was. Yeah. Um, when she's like, Oh, we've confirmed like these women's bodies are from different eras. So yeah. it's like, yeah, the recurring curse. Exactly. And and then Beatrix in that scene actually asks, are they related? And the woman obviously never gives her an answer. Obviously they wouldn't have enough time to do a DNA test on these bodies. Right. Um, that's something that they'd have to send out to the lab to do. But yeah, this is where Beatrix is already kind of putting it together that like all through the movie, Beatrix talks about her family being cursed, but she always says it with kind of like a sly smile. Um, you know, it's almost like she doesn't really buy into it. And I think in that particular scene, that's where she starts to buy into the fact that this is a real fucking curse and I'm in danger. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, there's always a lore like it, can't affect you until you actually start to believe it. I don't think they were necessarily going for that in this movie, but it is something you hear like in a lot of movies sure. with any type of curse or black magic or lore like that, where it's like, it's when you start to believe it, when it really starts to get dangerous. Yeah, exactly. So, so there you go, folks. Moloch 2022, a really good movie. I didn't do it any justice with my walkthrough. Skipped a lot of scenes. Like I said, there's a lot of dark scenes. There's a lot of slow scenes early on, like in the pub with Jonas and Beatrix just kind of getting to know each other. I didn't feel really the need to talk about those scenes, because as we've said, the whole relationship between Jonas and Beatrix seems like a waste in this movie. Like, I understand why they did it. I just don't agree with it, because it just padded the movie duration. It just added five yeah, minutes. That and, need. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like, I almost say it's... It, it's it's like um, good and bad because I I feel like it was a good decision to not go any further with it. But on the flip side, what we did get didn't even need to be there in the first place. So yeah, exactly. it's like whoever whoever was editing was like, yes, let's uh, make sure we cut it off here. But they should have gone farther and said, you know, uh, you might want to review their yeah, like scenes because they don't need to be together. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, the o the only reason that I can think of that that sex scene is in there is just, just add to the awkwardness of the end. Because like I said, once we see Jonas and Beatrix say goodbye, you're wondering why Beatrix is acting the way she is like very nonchalant. Like she didn't yeah. ever sleep with them. And that's the point. It's Helen. Helen doesn't know that they slept together. Beatrix knows that they slept together. So that's why Helen or Helen in the body of Beatrix is just giving him like a very polite, friendly goodbye. That really doesn't make sense. But yeah. Uh, like I said, once we get that final she, shot, oh god! It, or if he it, gives it, her the look, and if he mm -hmm. gives her the look, and then she's like, "What do you want? We just, I just gyrated on you, fully clothed. We didn't have yeah. sex. <laughs> <laughs> we just dry humped. What do you? What do you? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? That doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Like we could have lived without that, but I, I'm thinking that's. I mean, that's the only justification I can have for that scene being in there. Otherwise, it's an absolute waste. And it's literally like oh, five yeah. seconds long. I mean, it's not like it's even that long. You, It's just a quick shot of them, you know, <laughs> dry humping with their clothes on in the in the field. And the poor guy is on his back, so he's probably getting muddy as shit. 
I mean, they're literally yeah. having sex. <laughs> even the fact, even just her like aggressive kiss towards him didn't even really make sense why she even wanted to. Nope. Like, it's like, huh? So that like, came out of nowhere. Like, I, I actually started to think that she was possessed in that scene. Like, yeah. she wasn't doing anything violent or too creepy, but it definitely didn't track with her character that she would just fuck this guy she met two days ago in the field. Yeah, it, it, I, I guess I guess to your point about setting up that last scene is, like, maybe it even further reiterated the fact that she was the aggressor by going in for the kiss. So then, like, it would make it seem even more awkward or just more uh, off, I mean, that she shows no interest at the end because it's not yep. really her. 100%. All right. Anyways, uh, Don, do you have anything final to say about um, Moloch? It came up a little bit over the course of the discussion, but uh, yeah, it, I'm still pretty good with where I am on it. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up a Moloch discussion and this episode. But before we get out of here, it's time to hear what else we have out there for people to listen to. So, Venom, I'll throw it over to you. Where should people be listening to you? All right. Well, the main show, No More Room in Hell, episode 47, was just recorded yesterday. It is now being edited and will probably be out later this week. On that episode, we looked at Mike's picks, which were actually good ones this time. Go figure. Uh, we looked at 1959's The House on Haunted Hill and 1963's The Haunted, two of my favorite haunted house movies. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoilers. I love both movies. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, like I said, that'll be out later in the week. Um, no More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Episode 11 has been out for a couple of weeks now. We're going to uh, we looked at Phil Tippett's Mad God. Uh, this month, we'll re be recording our 12th episode, which is our one-year anniversary episode, and we'll be doing a special Fantasia uh, movie review. We're going to be looking at a couple of films um, out of the Fantasia Film Festival. They will be spoiler-free reviews, obviously, as these movies have not been released yet, and we want to stay on the good graces of these studios and continue getting invited to Fantasia, so... Uh, so, yeah, that'll be the next episode of Creature Comforts. That'll probably be out. Uh, that'll be the August episode. So, yeah, well, we're not even recording that probably for another three weeks or so. So, uh, like I said, look out for that later in the month on um, the podcast Under the Stairs. Uh, they are solidly into their summer series. Um, one set of my episodes has already been recorded. That's the 1972, 82, 92 and 2002 years where we are basically picking the third best film of each year as the top two have already been picked uh, on previous summer series. It's kind of a weird summer series this year if, you, if you're a longtime listener. Um, but, but at the same time, at least it's different. It's not the same thing that they always do. So uh, like I said, I am on those, uh, the twos, as we call them, 72, 82, 92, 02. Those episodes are in the can and they will start getting released next week if I if I remember the schedule correctly. And then I'm also on the sixes. So 76, 86, 96, and 06. That will be recorded later in August. Um, so look out for those. Um, Derek, also a member of the No More Room in Hell family, also appears on both of my episodes. So check that out. And that's pretty much it for me, Mike. Okay. Uh, as far as myself, um, I will actually kick it to Dawn. That's what I'll do. Dawn, <laughs> <laughs> that's out there. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I was, uh, I should say, the uh, recipient of the uh, Fantasia Fest uh, film reviews. There is a small selection of films that uh, appeal to um, under, to creature comforts. Um, I can uh, reveal the titles. Um, it is uh, two brand new films and one old one. Uh, the two new films are What to Do with a Dead Kaiju and Shin Ultraman. Well, the old one... The old one is a uh, thought lost uh, film from 1967 called Space Monster Wang Magui. And I th- hope I'm saying that right because I've seen the name a couple times and it's been over a month since I watched it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, those were uh, all provided at Fantasia Festival. I was the accredited member that uh, selected the film. So those are going to be the uh, topic for the next your comforts so, so hopefully once uh, everything's done with the summer series i'll uh, get the guys on board and uh, talk about those but um uh for horror countdown the latest episode is uh look at my top 10 soundtracks which was uh kind of a an unusual one because i i'm not a music guy um i know next to nothing about it so that was one of the, the more intensive research ones that I did, um, just a little behind the scenes. Uh, but I was a little hesitant and reluctant going into it, but um, it turned out pretty fun. I have a uh, music composer from a bunch of uh, indie films. I'm not entirely sure most would know who he is, but um, I, I I reviewed a few films and became friends with them. So um, a guy by the name of Mike Treblecock. Uh, so... Uh, that's the uh, latest episode, and um, I, I can say this. Um, it's not public yet, but um, I'll say it here. Um, I am going to be closing the show down, um, not permanently, but uh, just for the current year. Um, in looking things over, I have enough uh, content for uh, the end of September. Um, everything can, everything I have recorded as of now will fit up until uh, the last week of September, and uh, at that point, I'll uh, take a little hiatus for season one of the show and uh, come back in the new year with season two. So I'm taking uh, October, November and December off uh, more to come closer to that point. But uh, yeah, we're going to close out uh, season one in grand fashion. So uh, hopefully you guys will be on board for season two, but uh, yeah, still waiting on uh, more details with the guest spots. Um, I mentioned last week, that's kind of, it's been pushed back just due to um, issues with the host um, outside of my control, but um, the show is, uh, I, I can reveal that as much. Um, it is called the Nightclub Podcast, two words, not one, so Nightclub. Um, one of the shows I promote and one of the you know many groups that I'm uh, responsible for shouting out and all that kind of stuff. So they invited me on board. I I still don't know because we're still in the midst of trying to get uh, everything settled. So I don't know what we're doing, but uh, hopefully I can reveal more in uh, the coming days. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it for me. Okay. Um, As far as I go, then I'm already mentioned no more room in hell episode 47, which should be out in a couple of days. And uh, I have a couple episodes of the new sidecast. Watch this movie, Mike. That's out. The latest is with Jamie Sammons as a guest. She chose Salem's Lot. So we talk about that. Um, and I also have a – I call it like the, the mini summer series because uh, these ones it's just me and – or just Duncan and one 
uh, guest, and this episode happened to be me covering 1990, where we choose between Tremors and Exorcist 3 for what should go on the third slot of that year. So check that out if you're a Summer Series fan or if you just want to hear about both those movies like in a head-to-head matchup. Kind of hard, you know. It's kind of hard—a hard matchup to do like a bullet point list for each one because they're so different. But uh, I think we make a good case for both, and I won't spoil which one goes through. Um, and what else do I got? I think that's actually it for me. So, yeah. Um, our next episode of this, there's like, well, two for sure. A possible third coming out this week. That's uh, it's probably not horror, but are we just going with bodies, bodies, bodies because it's a theatrical one? That's a given. Yeah, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because the the other one is that Kevin Bacon movie. I think nope. it's called They Them. That comes <laughs> out this week. I thought that was next week. Yeah, uh, Wild no, Eighty Four sure. released two films in the same. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, I thought I looked up the uh, thing for the th- uh, the fifth, and it was listed on there. And Prey's the other one, but Prey, you know, it's a Predator movie, so it's not mm. really horror horror. Well, that makes no um, sense. Though. Why would A two four release two films on the same day, though? That does seem odd, doesn't it? Two horror films. Yeah, why would? A24 I mean, unless they saying, think why, like unless they, unless, unless they think one's so much more smaller scale that it's not going to keep people from the theater to see the other one. I don't, I don't know. <sighs> um, but anyways, yeah, so Bodies, Bodies, Bodies next episode in A24. It's, it looks like this one is trying to be the voice of Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get a heavy, like, you know, mm-hmm. younger audience vibe for this one. Doesn't mean it's not going to be good. I mean, I don't want to disparage it for that reason. But if you've seen the trailer, it's it's it feels like it's like trying to be, you know, this is the voice of our generation in a horror movie. But uh, we'll see the results. Could be great because of that. Could be horrible. Who knows? Um, But A24 usually has a good track record. I mean, not all of their movies are everybody's cup of tea, but it's hard to say they are making bad movies. So um, we'll see, I guess. Um, But uh, until then, thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back in a week with a new one. Let's say bye, listeners. Later. If movies like Hereditary and Moloch have taught me anything, they've taught me never trust grandma. Have a good night, folks. (laughs) Never trust the fog or the mist. There's always something in it.